3: Mr. Shanglot. But the reality is they don't know, man.
1: I've been looking forward to To the Top Talk. You know, I have that with myself every night. Look, for all you listen today,
3: I'm not an idiot.
2: What's going on? What's happening? How are you guys doing? Welcome to To the Top Talk, presented by the Valley Labor Report. The Valley Labor Report is Alabama's only union talk radio show. Stay up to date with the Southern Labor movement on YouTube, Facebook, or your favorite podcast app at The Valley Labor Report. So to the top talk, we're here with your break from all the high resource five propaganda to talk about the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles. Joining me now, Southern Miss Black Ops tailgate legend, Jason Bailey.
0: Greetings and salutations, fellas. Good to be back. I had a nice little breather last week, getting ready for Troy this week and uh,
2: fired up. And the Wizard of Whiskey himself, Shane Lott.
3: It's a little better. Maybe Chad won't give me such a hard time this week. It didn't sound squeaky through the headphones, at least. But. It didn't sound at all. I didn't hear anything.
0: I, did, I didn't hear a single. That, that was no squeak for sure.
3: That
2: was really yeah.
3: nothing. 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 Yeah. Not a quack. I think I'm going to do another one. Par for the course. Nah, screw it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we got a we got a special guest tonight coming to us all the way from the uh, Sun Herald. Scott Watkins. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thank you guys for having me tonight. So it's our first time having you on the show. Tell us a, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up at the Sun Herald. Okay, well, I went
4: to Troy University, uh, and that's how I got going, covering, you know, the Sun Belt and Troy and all that. And uh, graduated from there in 2020 and kind of in between for about a year, year and a half. And I started the Sun Belt Pages thing where I was just covering the Sun Belt as a whole. And that kind of led me to the Sun Herald. When our guy Patrick McGee, big fan I know, uh, no Southern Miss fans, huge fan of Patrick McGee. That's that's all I've heard <laughs> since I took over. Uh, but yeah, I took over for him after he left for New Orleans, and that's that's where I'm at now.
2: Cool, cool. So you you mentioned Troy, and obviously that's who the Golden Eagles are playing this week. Um, tell us a little bit about the Trojans thus far this season.
4: Oof! Where do you begin? It's it's a lot like uh, Southern Miss, actually. Uh, that's kind of that was kind of my feeling. When I took the job. I was like, man, these these two programs are so similar. And then as we got closer closer to the season, that the makeup of the personnel, what what these two teams had on both sides, they started looking really similar. And that's kind of what we have this weekend: is uh, two teams with really strong defenses and two teams with. Some questions that they would like to answer offensively, I I think, are some steps that they both like to take offensively. And we're running into kind of this situation where it may not be the prettiest thing in the world that we witness on Saturday uh, because Troy is that kind of team. They play just just nasty defense just like the nasty bunch does, and they play nasty offense, too. And so that's, that's kind of
3: the situation here.
4: Nasty, fun,
3: nasty, in a bad way on offense.
4: If that yeah, we've it. seen
3: we've seen our fair share of nasty, nasty offense around here in in the last uh, I, I mean parts of the decade. Yeah, yeah. Troy's turned the ball over ten times already, uh, which is second
4: to last in the conference. So it's it's not pretty. As far as like to,
0: yeah, as far as personnel, you know, you listen to Coach Hall a lot talk about Southern Miss uh, compared to other teams, and he'll say like with Tulane, you know, he mentioned before that game that. They were just a little bit further along uh that's kind of where we he thought we would be in a couple years from now how would you characterize troy's offense are they senior led or are they young like southern miss is
4: it's a lot of chip lindsey it's a lot of chip lindsey still in that offense right now Uh, that's that's who the the players are Uh, there's a couple of guys there's there should be a, a player i actually didn't see him much against western kentucky i don't know what his status is then uh, I forget his name, too, but uh, he's a wide receiver that came from UAB, so he should be familiar for Southern Miss fans as well. Uh, but other than that, it's Tez Johnson. He's, he's a wide receiver that came from the, uh, the chip era. Gunner Watson, I think, was recruited around. He's been through, you know, everything. And then the, the running backs, I was just telling somebody else today, I think David Eckert, uh, they are one through four, they're experienced. They've all played two, three-plus years in the system and that they just have a lot of, a lot of places to go at running back. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird situation. Uh, you know, as, as with, as it always is with the first year head coach, you have somebody trying to install their system with somebody else's players. And you don't really know what the future holds, I guess, cause you look at the defense too, and it's, it's guys that Neil Brown recruited. And so it's, it's kind of, that's the situation at Troy, uh, personnel wise. It's, it's, basically what you're looking for I think if you're a Troy fan is you know how what can this new coach do with old players and what what will that uh, tell us about what this team could be in future years
2: Troy is uh, currently 3 and 2 on the season you know uh, fell 28 to 10 to Mississippi Oxford in the first game of the season before defeating Alabama A&M 38 to 17 uh, a heartbreak breaker against App State falling 32 to 28 then um, defeating Marshall sixteen to seven, and then this past week in a very fun game to watch, a very scrappy game, uh, Troy thirty four over the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Um, and like you said, you can kind of see where, you know, things are on offense and defense. Um, but Troy got a little banged up this weekend. What's the, what's the status on the Trojans uh, health wise coming into this game? Unsure. I know that John Sumrall
4: would not speak on the quarterback situation today in the in the media you know, call or whatever, uh, even if Gunner's, even if Gunner Watson is healthy, Jared Dagey came in and did really, really well against Western Kentucky there in the second half, led two scoring drives that kind of sealed the deal. So it's, it, I don't think we're going to know. Uh, we'll see when the depth chart comes out. Uh, and even then, if the, de- if he does, if John Summerall does a depth chart, anything like Will Hall, won't tell us anything. We won't know anything until, sure. until Saturday. So, But then on the other side, yeah, K.J. Robinson is a big-time linebacker right there in the middle, right next to Carlton Marshall. He's kind of the Robin to Carlton's Batman. And then up front, yeah, Will Chola, who's been a top three defensive tackle uh, every year that he's been in the Sun Belt. And there, he also left the game in the third quarter against Western Kentucky. That's two huge pieces of the Troy front seven. And the front seven is what makes that Troy defense. They're actually bottom third in the conference in pass defense right now. and what, what they do, everything they do is based out of the front seven. Very aggressive, just like Southern Miss. And that, that to have those two pieces missing, that could be really, really, really major. And that's definitely something that fans need to be watching for throughout the week and on Saturday.
2: Well, you are the Southern Miss, Southern Miss beat writer for the Sun Herald. Um, what are your thoughts on the Golden Eagles at this point in the season?
4: Well, they are a little further along than I think people may have you know, may have expected earlier. A few minutes ago, you mentioned that Will Hall said Tulane is where uh, you know Southern Miss wants to be. I, I guess down the road. I thought going into the season, kind of the same thing. I thought Tulane was uh, where Southern Miss wants to be next year. I thought I, Tulane looks like a team to me that might win eight games this year. You know, that's that's probably where the Golden Eagles are heading. To find Zach Wilkie so quickly, and for really for Wilkie to find himself so quickly was such a huge thing for Southern Miss right now. Uh, He looked sharp against Miami. uh, Looked really really good against Tulane. I thought for him to just be a good game managing quarterback right now that that, that's doing wonders for where Southern Miss is at. I think because all Will Hall wanted to do this year is establish his offense for the first time, Mm -hmm. and for Wilkie to come and just be competent. And he's more than competent. All he needed was somebody to play competently. And I think the expectation was somebody to play athletically like Ty Keyes, but for Wilkie to come in and be that pass first guy, I, for me, that makes more sense for Will Hall. I think that actually works out in Will Hall's favor, because I think that what Hall wants to do is more pass oriented. And Keys, from what I've seen personally, he has a few more, you know, steps that he's got to take to get all the way there as a passer. Wilkie's there. I mean, that guy's is legit. Uh, he's got the green light already, which I think tells you, I think that should tell you a lot about Wilkie. The fact that he's taking shots downfield. Of course, Jason Brownlee. It, I think if you have Brownlee, anybody needs to be throwing downfield. It, that guy comes down with anything. But Wilkie is so far ahead of where everybody thought he'd be, including Hall. Let's not forget after the Liberty game, Hall straight up said that Wilkie was not ready to play. And Wilkie almost immediately proved him wrong. So just, just him being so much further than people thought he'd be is doing wonders for this offense.
0: Everybody that we've talked to, like we talked to Baker. Uh, we talked to a bunch of people that have been to a lot of practices. I've been to a couple. And and just f- from, from what you've seen out of Wilkie, I mean, I think we've all seen that his strength is accuracy. How would you rank, like, his football IQ, his leadership skills? I mean, a lot of that goes into, you know, handling the huddle. Um, this time last year, he was playing high school football. Right now, he's you talk about guys like Jason Brownlee, Frank Gore. They're probably looking to him in the huddle to, to lead them down the field. I mean, how does he stack up on that side?
4: Always tough to tell when you're not in the huddle, but you know, just watching his body language and watching you know in between plays, stuff like that, and, and the post game pressers. This guy is one with the team right now. It, everybody's with him. I think he's got everybody behind him. Uh, I know that uh, Jacharys Caston loves him, loves him a lot. There's no issues right now with meshing from my point of view. Wilkie very quickly got along with this team. It helps to uh, have that spring. That was a huge thing about this team to have all these newcomers, you know, almost the entire recruiting class in there in January. And that's that was really big. And I think where Wilkie's at right now, I think that plays a big part of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think that's a problem. I think he's I think he's arriving as far as, you know, being a leader in the huddle.
2: Speak a little bit about the the Kind of the and change as well. I guess I could say improvements up front on the offensive line this season. Yeah,
4: I don't think that they're. I don't think that they're all the way there. They're not where they want to be. In fact, I was just in uh, Will Hall's office with Hall and uh, Sam Greg just the other day, talking to them for about half an hour. And uh, Greg will tell you that they're not. They're not where they need to be. Uh, they're a bit inconsistent in the run game right now. But look, after last year, anything that you do is better than what happened last year. That was, that was devastating. That, that was brutal in every way, Uh, but they are, they're deeper. The fact that you've got a true freshman starting at tackle, that's, that is huge Uh, over like a fifth year senior, I think in Paul Gaynor, that is really big. And then just knowing that you have that depth and just knowing that you can rotate those guys out, they don't get tired, which I think was a big issue last year when I came in late and just watching a few games, it seemed like the off the line was just not there physically. And I think depth had a big part of that hall. I had mentioned before that he thought he had three to five D one level offensive linemen last year. That showed that absolutely showed this year. It's different. You've got transfers like Bryce Ramsey, transfers like red shirt, freshman Calvin McMillian, who's, who's coming in and playing significant snaps. Those guys are making a difference. I think that's the big thing. I don't think technically they're there. And I, and I do mean, you know, that on a technical level, mechanical level, I don't think they're there right now. Uh, But they are doing enough to protect Wilkie, no sacks against Tulane, uh, but they're not doing enough to keep him comfortable. Tulane had a lot more quarterback hurries in that game than Southern Miss did. So they're taking baby steps. They're getting there. Uh, Give us some time. But what's important is that they are absolutely showing progress, and that's really big.
3: offensive lines probably got to be the toughest position on the team to come in and play early in your career. Uh, I mean, not only physically development, but uh, I mean, getting getting that technique down and and really learning how to play with other gigantic human beings out there that are strong and fast. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. A lot of young promise and young talent. We got to be patient with them as they develop. Scott, yeah, how many
0: How many of these plays – and you're not calling the plays or, you know, but, I mean, in your eyes, how many of these plays that, that Coach Hall is calling um, are like one read? Maybe, two, I mean, you know, just like – I know you want to simplify it. I mean, I'm sure the, the, play bu- the playbook is not all the way opened up as if you had like a senior quarterback back there. Um, I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Like, like is, is it – are a lot of these just like, look, we're going that way? or hitting the guy in the flat, and that's it.
4: I can tell you that it's not all of them. It's not all of them that are one one to two reads because there was one particular play uh, against Tulane. I remember watching, and I I turned left, and I looked at Dave, and I said, that was a great play by Zach Wilkie. And I think it was like a 12-yard pass to Frank Borgie. I think that's all it was. But I watched Wilkie go from the left to the middle, saw nobody, stepped up in a pocket, delivered five yards downfield to Gore. And he picked up, you know, six, seven, winners. and it was so impressive to see a true freshman do that on the road in a big rivalry game. And he just did it so naturally. So I know that they're not doing stuff where, you know, he they're saying, hey, if this guy's not open, throw it here, or throw it away. They are testing him. They're getting him ready for conference play. It looked like they did that against Tulane. And he look good doing. it. So I don't, I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know, you know, all I don't know the route combinations that will all run out there. I don't know the plays, of course, but he just watching him and watching Wilkie go through one receiver to two receivers. And when you've got Brownlee and Caston and Gore, it makes sense to have at least three, three reads. And he's using those reads. He's progressing through them. And I think that's that's really important. That's probably why you haven't seen him make a lot of bad throws.
0: And the reason I have to ask that is because when we're watching the game, you know, we're uh, knee deep uh, in the knee stuff. Deep. So, you know, um, and I don't go back and watch it on replay, you know, like, like Marchant. I know Marchant goes back and he's watched the, the two lane game that he said two and a half times. <laughs> so uh, I don't do that. Um, but I do watch and then I read about it. And then we talk to people like you who know a lot more than we do and are not into the stuff. So.
3: Yeah, well, Chug, Chug. <laughs> yeah no Wilkie Wilkie looks
4: good and uh he's he's accurate he's smart high IQ I think that was the big thing that Hall mentioned about him right away when he got him say so he was smart smart quarterback he made the smart reads this guy I hate to you know feel so excited about somebody honestly so early but Wilkie has every trait that I think he in a quarterback I mean he's accurate he throws the ball downfield and he goes through his reads. He steps up in the pocket and he's a true freshman with a second year head coach who, who knows how to run an offense. Did it at Tulane. The the, uh, the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan would say with Zach.
3: <laughs> Man, though, I live up in North Carolina, Scott, and uh, I'm in the Raleigh area. So uh, I, I went to some UNC football games and such in the last few years. Friends had extra tickets. Nobody wanted to watch them play. I'd go. Uh, especially there towards the end of Fedora's end. But the first time I heard that the ceiling is the roof thing there, I was just like, what What the hell is wrong with these people? The ceiling is the roof. <laughs> uh, I know Michael Jordan wanted that, but who cleared that through like the marketing? They were like, I mean, okay, the ceiling is the roof. We'll go with it. That's yeah. But there's no question there. That's uh, I just drink and <laughs> and make random smart ass comments on this show is kind of my deal. So uh, well, yeah, Jordan can do no wrong, so you know
0: anything he yeah. says goes. Yeah, well,
3: they uh, they do love him here.
2: So Scott, you know, you you mentioned that prior to coming here, you wrote a lot about the Sun Belt and uh, the Sun Belt definitely living up to the the expectations that the Sun Belt fans had in the preseason. Talk a little bit about what you've seen out of uh, the Sun Belt thus far in 2022. It is. I think it's surpassing. I think it's surpassing
4: expectations. The the competitiveness, it's more than what we thought. I think that our expectation coming in was the East would be a bloodbath and the West would be Louisiana and four teams just kind of skirmishing right underneath. We've got the East right now. James Madison is upending that whole thing. and And they're not even eligible to play in the Sun Belt title game. But they have apparently that what I've been told is the goal is to be Sunbelt East division champions, which they can be. They can still be that. And that's happening out east. And then in the West, almost immediately, the Cajuns look terrible and lost lost to ULM and then lost to South Alabama. They're 0-2. They had not lost. They didn't lose a single Sunbelt West game under under Billy Napier. Not a single one.
0: Undefeated.
4: It was an insane run. Very first two games without Billy Napier and they lose them both. The West is completely wide open, which is kind of the halfway expectation. I mean, part of me felt like somebody else would challenge for that spot, but I think you got three, four teams now who could finish first in the West, and that that kind of changes everything. That that makes this game so important. That made the South Alabama Louisiana game so important. Uh, you've got more games coming up that are just they're going to shape the West in ways that none of us even thought would happen. And so yeah, I think the Sunbelt is doing than uh, we were even hoping for.
3: Shane tried to warn us about James Madison. Look, man, that's, uh, that's Scott, you you don't know the background on this, but my brother-in-law and sister-in-law that live up here, both are JMU alumni. And so I've I've followed them for several years. I'd always go over to John's house and watch games with him, especially I'm originally from North Dakota. So when they played North Dakota State, uh, I'd go over there and talk shit and uh, watch the football game at his house. But uh, yeah, man, the, the Dukes are for real. And I'll tell you what, I didn't see them being this good. I expected them to come in and be respectable, but they're downright scary i mean yeah. their defense is is rough and uh i mean they've they've been handling people it's uh what what a move up yeah the, you you talk about the defense that's probably the most
4: unexpected thing about them i've i don't think in all my years i have seen anybody hold App State to 1.8 rushing yards per carry. Hmm. That was astonishing when I saw that. And then they they did a great job against Lane Hatcher in Texas State as well. James Madison, I thought offensively they'd be pretty good, and they lost some pieces up front on defense. So I thought, eh, this might be where they're uh, they're falling off. They look like the best defensive team in the conference somehow.
3: Yeah, uh, their defense statistically is is just nuts. I mean, they're up there. They're, they're – again, I didn't see it coming that quickly. I mean, when you're competing for FCS national championships, you've got a solid team, but there's a scholarship difference there. I mean, you're playing like 2021 Southern Miss scholarship levels uh, at the FCS level. So there's a difference of of depth and uh, just exposure and the the level of athlete that you get. But man, they have uh, stepped in and and really they're going to be a force to be reckoned with now, Uh, not sooner rather than later, but now. Yeah, that's where the transfer portal comes in. Uh, it changes everything
4: about the jump from FCS to FBS. And James Madison, I I don't know the exact number, but I guarantee you there are over 80 scholarships, which is why a big reason why I think that NCAA rule is is so dumb. It's so old. It it's archaic. It shouldn't be in place anymore. Uh, there at least have a waiver. You know, hey, if you're playing with 80 scholarships, that's not a problem. Safety's not an issue. Go ahead and play your postseason game. I don't. I doubt any waiver will be you know, signed this year, but that is a rule that absolutely has to change. And James Madison is the reason
3: why I'd be kind of, uh, their MO because their, their conference in FCS, I can't remember the name of it that they got out of to come to the Sunbelt, uh, kind of screwed them and and didn't let them participate in any championships this past year after they made the announcements. So, uh, they football is not their only good program too. their softball programs, nationally relevant, uh, uh, Soccer is pretty good. Uh, I mean, uh, they've. I think they've got a ranked women's field hockey team, uh, but that's uh, they've, they've got an impressive program. The, the The campus is beautiful. The stadium's really nice. One side of it is small, but the rest of it's a really nice stadium in uh, a really cool setting, really close to the mountains over there. So uh, they've got a lot going for them. Sunbelt kind of hit the jackpot with the with
0: the teams that we added. I mean, we, I guess, Scott, you could weigh in on that more than we could, but I know we're coming in and it seems like people like that we're in the conference and they, you know, and Marshall and uh, what's the other one? ODU. ODU. Um, I mean, in your eyes, I mean, is, it is everybody just kind of, I'm just reading the tea leaves and I feel like we got our finger on the pulse of the conference a little bit, but uh, it, it seems like people are, are glad that the new teams are here and um And I think everybody thinks it's been a positive. We just kind of like the icing on the cake. The cake was always, was already good at the Sunbelt and and, uh, we just kind of added a little bit to it. I mean, what do you think?
4: Yeah, no, the vibes are strong. The vibes are very good right now. Uh, I see it in group chats. I see it in, in, you know, on Twitter. I see it on Facebook. Everybody's very happy to have all these teams in here. I think the Sunbelt nailed it. I was a really big proponent of James Madison last summer and I, I am so happy that the Sunbelt brought them in. Uh, Old Dominion was kind of my, eh, but after some more, after some looking into it, some research, it, it that made sense. Uh, you know, competitively, it, it's I nailed it. I mean, they went after regional rivalries. This has all been talked about before. I know you guys have probably talked about it as well, over and over. And that's what they went after, and it's it is paying dividends already. Mm-hmm. And you saw what half the Sunbelt had what record breaking season ticket sales. That's that's insane. I mean, the the level of excitement, it has never, ever, ever been this high. Uh, I lately, this is how I've been looking at it. Uh, Years ago, there was one Sunbelt podcast and it was the Bench Boys. A couple of my friends did it and then they died off. And then me and a friend started the Sunbelt pages. And that was the only Sunbelt podcast. If you look around right now, there's six or seven or eight. Mm. They're, 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 They're everywhere. The fans are excited. They want to get involved. New fan accounts are popping up on Twitter all the time. It's that was something I know it, that's such a small, small, small thing, but when I looked at Conference USA two years ago, I thought, you know, this conference is awful, it's trash, it's not competitive in football. But there are so many fans on social media. There's they're so active and it doesn't exist in the Sunbelt. Troy Twitter is non-existent, it it's not there. Southern Miss Twitter is massive, it's huge, it's just like Georgia Southern, it's massive. We need more, you know, more fan involvement, more fan excitement. And that's what this done. I noticed that a lot more some Bell fans are getting engaged in their team and in the league from a social perspective. And that changes a lot from a national
0: perspective as well. This is the first time in forever that I've been even at all curious as to what our conference brethren was doing on the weekend. (laughs) You know, I'm out flip on the games. Uh, I mean, outside of maybe Marshall, um, I I just, I, I, I just could care less. I didn't ever want UTEP to win a game or just, UT, just none of it made sense to me. Why in the hell are we going to El Paso one weekend and Miami the next weekend? It never made any sense. They didn't okay. Have any fans, you know, they came in with, with just attitude. This, I don't know, it was, it was just weird. Now it seems like we've joined a lot of like minded, like populated uh, areas and it's great. Love it.
3: Yeah. At a, at a time where, uh, nationally generally uh, where uh, attendance at games is down and and interest is is not at the peak. I mean the the SEC here in our neck of the woods is a completely different animal because uh, every mouth breather on the planet's a fan of them. So you you hear a lot of it. but uh, as far as college football and college sports goes like uh, attendance is down everywhere and it seems like interest is kind of fading, but the sun Belt hit it at just the right time to where, uh, I mean, the the big weekend uh, where the three big wins happened couldn't have happened at a better time. Early in the season, that gets ESPN behind you, and when they start their hype train behind you, I mean, Ab State got game day, uh, and uh, that's huge per- for perception and just bringing in casual fans that don't have uh, connections to the universities to pay attention to what's going on. And when you get that that formula rolling, is is when the TV dollars start to get a little bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, to that to that attendance point, it's it it makes a,
4: a lot of sense what the Sun Belt did, you know, Conference USA, of course, going after the markets and you end up with with this situation where you got teams in major cities like UAB. Uh, and that that is a city chock full of Alabama fans and nothing but Alabama fans. You, you go, you look around Conference USA and they're in major, major cities that do not care about the little team in there. It makes look. The fact that Georgia State is the team in the Sunbelt that struggles the most with attendance, not a mm-hmm. surprise. They're in Atlanta. When you get into these major cities, people are not going to show up for your games because people moved here after going to college at Georgia, you know, after after going to college at Alabama. They don't care about your team. The Sunbelt is a bunch of teams in remote, more remote locations like Statesboro, like Troy, a little bit like Hattiesburg, you know, these, these type of places where the people here, they they're from here, or they went to school here, and they didn't stray very far from there. So there's the attendance that doesn't it doesn't come up as much of a as much of a big issue. You know, when I watch the Middle Tennessee game, there's nobody out there. It's empty. Stands are empty. And then if you turn on a Georgia Southern game, the fans are there. It's a packed house. And this is a little town in Statesboro, Georgia. So it's it what the Sun Belt did, I think, skirting the markets. Always skirt the markets. Always fade the markets. Don't go after the markets. Not when you're a G5 G5 league.
2: You, you had this tweet the other day, uh, <laughs> Scott, when you mentioned that the Sunbelt broke its single-season non-conference wins record over the weekend and counting. I mean, I know they added four new teams, but still, we still got some some season left to play. <laughs> yeah, there's there's quite a few
4: non-conference games
2: left. In all those previous years, the times
4: that they had t- hit 25, that was including bowl games as well. So we're we're really maybe a little over halfway through non-conference games, uh, still yet to be played. So the fact that we're 28, I don't that's not a you know on pace or under pace from last year. The Sun Belt I think is a little ahead of pace of its you know win percentage record as well. Uh, but that's that's played a big part of it. Uh, you know the week where they took down three Power Five teams, uh, and from a national perspective, I was really impressed by how the Sun Belt weathered the following week where it was dominated by peer conferences, Conference USA and the MAC, and it just, it struggled and struggled. A week later, you still have people on ESPN, people, you know, from a national perspective that are looking at the Sun Belt going, this is this is it, this is the premier G5 league right here. And it didn't matter that they just got, you know, gobsmacked by Bowling Green uh, on NFL Network. It didn't matter. So that's that's really encouraging, I think.
2: So you, you've covered uh, the Trojans, you've covered the Golden Eagles. What what are your thoughts on this game coming up this weekend?
4: My thoughts are that I'm excited to be on on Troy on Troy's campus again. Not overly excited to witness what may happen on the football field. Uh, my my expectations are tempered. Uh, I'm I'm actually setting super low expectations so that the game will surprise me. That's <laughs> that's that's been what I've been telling myself all week and all last week, because uh, otherwise this game could be gross. I think that Southern Miss actually might have a slight edge in this one. Uh, I, I think David picked Troy before uh, because of the um, the quarterback situation. He liked the, the veterans on the other side, even if it's not going to it's going to be somebody that has over 10,000 passing yards his career. Granted, about 40 interceptions as well, and uh, Southern Miss' secondary is, is some ball hawks back there. That's why I think that Southern Miss kind of has the advantage here. They've got a smart quarterback. Troy does not have a great secondary, which has kind of been surprising, the fact that they've been able to get through teams like West Kentucky, who have been averaging 50 points a game. And even with that secondary that's looking a little rough, they're not they're not very good on the back end like Southern Misses. And I mean the far back end at free safety and the the other safety, Southern Miss's secondary safety. It's it's kind of a weird position. I haven't yet figured that one out, but they're still both very good back there. Troy doesn't have that. And then offensively, at least uh, Southern Miss has something that they have found and that they're working on. I do not believe Troy has found that yet. I think that they're trying to still establish the run. And get the pass going and then they have failed to establish the run and it creates some really iffy situations to the pass team and that's led to the inflation of those turnover numbers southern miss has something that they like southern miss has a deep ball threat they've got an underneath security blanket they've got the frank Gore jr they've got zach Wilkie. they have an identity that they are building right now while troy is still looking for theirs so i i think the golden eagles have a slight advantage here, but I'm going under. I don't know what the over-under is. David picked 24 to 21, so 45. I'm going under 45.
0: So I'm looking at uh, Troy is giving up 379 yards a game. We're just going to call that 400. Let's say Southern Miss gets 400 yards this weekend. How does that shake out passing and rushing loss? If if Southern Miss gets
4: 400, I think that's going to be about – 280 to 300 passing Mm -hmm. might be Wilkie's big day I do not see Southern Miss running the ball very well in this game even with you know potentially KJ Robertson I think losing Robertson would be the uh the the lesser blow if they if they're playing without Will Cholo that's going to be an issue but they are like Southern Miss was they are pretty deep at linebacker I don't think Southern Miss is going to be able to run the ball very well in this one. But I do think if they can establish a rhythm quickly, that Wilkie can have a pretty good day here.
2: What um for any fans that may be going to the game, what do you have any recommendations there in the Detroit the vicinity? Yeah, get out, get in, get out. That's that's the recommendation. <laughs> get in, get out. Spend as much time as possible
4: on campus. Campus and the city, two different things. I love the Detroit University campus it's really small it's really tight uh, there's two roads but it's a very beautiful campus you get outside of that. Just go ahead and keep going whichever way that you're going uh, there, there are really there's a lot of fast food places they're coming up they just got a Starbucks off campus for the first time very recently. Uh, but other than that two restaurants they're both Mexican one is for the college students One's for the locals. So just, you know, pick your vibe there. One's Rodeo. That's the college student one. Menarcha's, that's for the the locals. And then there's Ruby Tuesdays. So (laughs) up to you.
0: That's a a, a Ruby Tuesday with the uh, salad bar. Always a popular option. Um, You know, we were talking about going, uh, me and my wife and my son. I got to get up and coach soccer Saturday. uh, But being a six o'clock game, I was like, well. You know, if we get out of here, I can show up and maybe we can check into the hotel by like 430. And then which the hotel, by the way, is like 30 minutes on this side because that's where the holiday end was. I don't know what the hotel situation is in Troy, but doesn't seem to be a whole lot. Well, anyway, we ended up we just said, you know, we're just going to go on vacation. And I still try to do because we're going to Chattanooga. So I was like, maybe we can swing through Troy, but you can't. It's like in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. You just can't. I tried to make it work on the map. <laughs> So many times you just can't make it. You work. can't,
3: no. can't no swing, swing through no. southeast no. Alabama to get to the mountains. <laughs> you can't, no. It is so
0: off.
4: It is, it's way off the interstate, and there's no highway that goes straight there either. There's a lot of back roads you got to take to get to Troy, Alabama.
0: Alabama,
2: uh, Scott, I know you know. I know this is all hypothetical moving forward, but but what do you see as being the outlook for Southern Miss football for the rest of the year? Oh
4: man, that's such a tough one. A tough one to answer. I think in in previous years, if you had taken previous Southern Miss teams and put them in previous Sun Belt years, I think you could have you know a clear look. You go, okay, this is what we got to do to reach this number, or otherwise we're going to reach this number. There are so many outside factors this year. I think that changes things, and that's you don't know how good Troy is going to be this week or next week. You expect, I think I do, and I, I think a lot of other people do. You kind of expect Louisiana to, at some point, wake up because they are still they are still talented. And you 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 look at them 0 and 2, and you think, okay, they're done. I've already seen a few people say that they're the worst team in the West. Do not do not do not drink that Kool Aid. Louisiana at some point is going to wake up. And then you got uh, South Alabama. They look really strong to me. They look like the best team in the West. And then you have ULM. ULM does this thing where they randomly bite somebody that they should not have touched. And they did that twice last year. They've already done it once this year. You never know when that's going to happen. This is the wonders of the somehow do so you never know when ULM is going to do the thing that they do. <laughs> and then of course, Texas state is on a, on a such a long train wreck right now. It's, it's a train wreck that started like a year ago and it just, it somehow keeps going and I don't know how they have not moved on from their current situation, but, It's just that mess of four teams from Louisiana to Southern Miss to to, uh, Troy, you know, and then South Alabama, you just don't know what's going to happen. I think that right now a bowl game looks more probable than when the year started. Going two and two in non-conference play was huge. And there are very, very, very winnable games in the West. Uh, You drew one of the more favorable uh, matchups, two-game matchups with with the East, especially with Georgia State. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. I think that at this point, a bowl, missing a bowl game should probably re- be regarded as a disappointment, uh, which is a good thing, I think, because that's not the, that was not the thought process when the season started. You know, you kind of went whole game, but five wins means we we took a step forward. After what we've seen from Wilkie and that game from Tulane, I think people should expect a bowl game and expect will hall to get this team to where it needs to be.
2: Oh, good info. Good info. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Shane, we want to give, let's give Scott a break a second. Shane, do you have any updates uh, for Southern Miss athletics um, you'd like to share for the
3: week? Yeah. Uh, Scott, if you need to go to the bathroom or make yourself a meal or uh, <laughs> finish a novel or anything, uh, I've, I've got like, 15 20 minutes no it's it's not that bad tonight um i do have two questions for scott after this yes after this okay after this. all right so uh well we'll talk about what's going on in other spring sports real quick uh leading so far for the week the cross-country team had a really good showing they participated in the chili pepper classic cross-country festival in fayetteville arkansas back on friday the 30th uh Olivia Wozniak set another school record, finishing fourth in the 5,000 meters. And the Lady Eagles as a team finished second out of 31 teams overall. So, Really strong showing from the Lady Eagles there in Fayetteville. Uh, freshman uh, freshman Isabella Ross uh, finished 12th as well. Uh, there were multiple Lady Eagles that finished in the 20s uh, down into the 40s. And when you're talking 31 teams and all the runners, uh, those are very respectable finishes. But uh, next up for the Lady Eagles, on Friday, October the 14th at the Crimson Classic in Tuscaloosa for their last event before the Sunbelt Championships. Excuse me. Men's golf. Last week when we recorded, the men were in second place after two rounds of the Old Town Collegiate. The third round wasn't as friendly to the Eagles as they finished the tournament seven out of 12 teams. Uh, low eagle was senior Cameron Clark, who tied for fourth overall uh, with a three round total of 205. Uh, Thong Papat finished and 11th overall at a total score of 207 uh the team did enter the golf week rankings at number 43 nationally this week and bump you may want to chime in here because uh uh that uh, that, that that's huge for our golf program i don't know how many times we've we've been ranked nationally uh before but uh pretty big deal yeah well you know and i'm not that well versed on it but
0: after talking with uh, a few people from what i understand that 43 43- because you at first glance you're like 43 why are we pimping that right but um apparently this, this this ranking is is pretty high and almost guarantees you a spot in the tournament at the end so um hope i mean eddie's got it going on right i've uh, yeah. been moving in the right direction in the last couple of years and and seems like we're finally starting to get some of that recognition
3: yeah absolutely uh not only does Eddie have it going on, Lucy's got it going on. The Lady Eagles are doing well early in the season, too, uh, before we move to them from the men. As well as that uh, 43rd nationally ranking individually, Thong Papad is ranked as the number 100 player and Cameron Clark is ranked as 193. So a couple of guys on the team getting some individual accolades as well. Next up for the gentlemen, the Oregon State Invitational at the Tristing Tree Country Club in Corvallis, Oregon. That's Monday, October the 10th and Tuesday, October the 11th. Uh, Women's golf currently playing in the Pat Lesser Harbattle Seattle University Invitational. Ladies are ninth out of 21 teams with an overall score of 13 over par after the first two rounds uh low eagle is elena milik she is tied for 10th at one over par Uh, the ladies will finish that tournament up with the final round on tuesday october the 4th next up after this tournament is the lady red wolves classic at the Sage, sage meadow country club in jonesboro arkansas hosted by arkansas state that is monday october the 10th and tuesday october the 11th volleyball uh, hosted Scott's Troy lady Trojans for matches on Friday the 30th and September October and September October 1st. Saturday, October 1st, let me get another pour of whiskey gentlemen. Uh, ladies were victorious Friday night winning a grueling five set match before they fell in three uh, straight sets uh, on Sunday to take the loss. that split the season with the Troy Trojans and put the Lady eagle volleyball team at 10 and six. And two and two in conference, uh, not conference USA play. That was <laughs> Jesus, it's so good not to have to say that anymore. And Sunbelt play. Uh soccer was also in action. Uh ladies fell to Texas State there in Hattiesburg, zero to one. Texas State scored a goal in the 71st minute to get the only scoring action on the sheet. Uh That currently puts the Lady Eagles soccer team at one and six and two. That's one, two, and one in Sunbelt play. Texas State does currently sit at nine, one and two, three, zero and one in soccer. So for their all their weaknesses on the football field. Their lady soccer program seems to be pretty strong. Next up for the soccer ladies, they will head to Conway, South Carolina, Thursday, October the 6th, to play Coastal Carolina at 6 p.m. Got some news from uh, the softball world. Uh, Coach Natalie Poole has promoted Elizabeth Izzy Worden to assistant coach. She has been a Golden Eagle grad assistant Uh, for a couple of years, and last season was the volunteer assistant for the Lady Eagles softball program. So we had mentioned last week that a coach from the squad had had stepped down to uh, pursue more family time and a singer-songwriter career. Well, uh, now we've got our coach to make that replacement. Uh, Last couple of things. Uh, Men's tennis was in action or was supposed to be in action this weekend at the ITA All-American in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Twitter accounts been silent webpage does not have uh, updated story. And uh, to be honest, I went to the ITA website and it just looked like a lot to dig through. So I was like, (laughs) we'll get those updates later. Um, But We'll uh, we'll have the action from that, and uh, once the gentlemen finish this up, which should have ended today as we record Monday the 3rd, uh, next up for them is the ITA regionals in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That's Thursday the 13th through Sunday the 16th, and the women were not in action this past week, but they will be at the ITA regionals in Baton Rouge on Thursday the 13th, and that will get us caught up. Jason, do you have? A, did you have a question? For yeah, Scott? I do.
0: I, I got two more questions for Scott. Um, straightforward, and however you want to ask from um, However you want to answer them. Go ahead. Uh, Troy wins the game this weekend if if they do not turn the ball over.
4: That's that's the big thing for Troy. Uh, if they don't turn the ball over, eventually they will move the ball move the ball down the field. I think they'll get enough stops to put themselves in a, in a position to win. It's whether or not, you know, they, they can limit the number of possessions that are played in this game. Uh, You want to keep this game. I think both teams probably keep this game as slow as possible. Maybe Uh, though, Will Hall kind of frustrates me sometimes because I'm trying to tweet out live updates and I type three words and they've already ran the next play. (laughs) That that, that gets on my nerves. So maybe it won't be so slow, Uh, but Troy will absolutely slow, put. they'll, they'll put the, the brakes down in this game, I think, a little bit. They do not move the football very quickly anymore, at least compared to how they did in the years past. Uh, but that's I think that's the biggest factor. Don't turn the ball over.
0: And the other question is just the opposite side of that. Southern Miss wins the game if?
4: Ooh, if they score three times offensively. I think that if Southern Miss uh, scores three times, at least two of them are touchdowns. There's, there's about a 100% chance that Southern Miss win this game because I, I just don't think that Troy can do enough with its offense unless Jared Dagey is just that guy. You know, he comes out, he's a starter, and he, and he looks every bit as good as he did on his best days at West Virginia, uh, then it might be a problem. But I, I feel like that's asking a lot from Troy and that offensive line and the fact that they aren't very deep at playmaker, at wide receiver. Uh, I think that if Southern Miss reaches at least 20 offensive points, they, they've got this one. Cool.
3: Well, knowing that about Troy's quarterback now, I kind of hope that uh, Trey Lowe gets to take a few snaps. So you have each team being quarterbacked by an ex-West Virginia quarterback. <laughs> I don't back.
0: hope that. I don't hope that.
3: <laughs> well, look, that no, yeah, because uh, if that happens, it, it probably means bad news. That but, means
0: that that'll go. God, I now have to think about
3: Maybe maybe for a goal line package. No, I just no. I need the West Virginia connection to happen. Mm. Well, just, just take mama.
4: It. uh they'll meet on the field after the game.
2: <laughs> there you go. Fair <laughs> point. Uh, Jason, you uh you have any shout outs this week?
0: Just a couple. You know we didn't have anything going on, um, sudden miss wise, but I uh, did want to give a shout out to my nephew, Jonah Katsaboulis. He plays at PRCC, and they did a little. Uh, they played it like. I think Wednesday, this, I mean, this past week at the Pete um, at 10 o'clock in the morning and four in the afternoon versus some other junior college teams. And he got a couple hits. I think he's starting to make a little noise, maybe getting the, an interest. So I wanted to give a, 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 shout, out, a shout out to, to Jonah. And uh, give a shout out to Coach Kaye. Um, Chad took a job at JCJC. JC. Uh, I knew he probably couldn't stay away. And he hasn't, and he's still around. He's a great dude, um, great Golden Eagle. So it's nice to see Chad uh, back. Uh, because he was at he was at A and M. He went to what South Carolina, and uh, and then he was nowhere. So now he's back. And anyway,
2: shout out to Chad. All right, Shane, do you have any shout outs this week?
3: Uh, I actually do. Um. Uh, Chad Dickens, uh, father has been going through some, some health issues here recently and, and seems like he's on the up and up now, uh, and, and is on schedule to, to get out and, and make some progress into getting back home. So, uh, best of luck there, but, uh, per, per Chad's request, wanted to throw a shout out to all the people that, uh, that had thoughts and prayers there for Mr. Dickens, much appreciated, uh, things look to be, uh, in, in a much better spot.
2: Uh, I got a couple of shout-outs. Uh, our buddy, Likey, got married over the weekend. That's
0: right. Boy, I'm glad you heard that. Yeah. Shame on us, horrible. horrible.
2: <laughs> uh, birthday shout-out. My brother, Dusty Arrington, had a birthday yesterday. Ryan Warsham had a birthday today. And also, shout-out to our buddy from the Valley Labor Report, Adam Keller. All right, so we got the game coming up this Saturday. That is on October the 8th. 8th at 6 p.m. from the uh, Troy campus and that game will be on ESPN plus if you can't make it there as of right now the game is sitting at a six and a half point line in the Trojans favor all right Scott any final words for the Southern Mess fans and any final thoughts on the game this weekend
4: Oof, I don't know it's it's early in the week I love to do all my stuff on Wednesdays that's way that way I've had a <laughs> process you know uh, so I, I've given all of the thoughts that I have so far, but I'll come up with new ones, guys.
2: No, I appreciate you coming on. You guys be sure that you follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Watkins T U. And at TheSunHerald.com. I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Right. That's who I work for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To the Top Talk presented by the Valley Labor Report this week. The Valley Labor Report is Alabama's only union talk radio show. Stay up to date with the Southern labor movement on YouTube, Facebook, and or your favorite podcast app at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, check us out to the top for merchandise or if you want to sponsor an episode of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And as always, Southern Miss to the top. Talk.
1: Here in Eagle Heaven is where I'm gonna stay I could play for North Carolina, Ohio State, RLSU. You play a good game of football But Southern Mississippi is a whole lot better than you Football season is over and done. The fans here in Hattiesburg will be proud of what we've done. I could play for the Georgia Bulldogs, Florida State, or Tennessee, but I chose Southern Mississippi. And right here at home is where I'll always be. I could play.